Thank you, worship team. Did you enjoy that today? We're going to do a little bit more worshiping at the end. Um, how, many, how many decisions do you think you make on an average day? How, for you, you know, how, how many decisions, choices, do you have to go through and process and, and, and react to? You know, studies say that it's anywhere between 5,000 and 35,000. I know, it's like crazy. It's apparently some of us lead very boring lives um, down on the 5,000. And those of you that are doing 35,000, I mean, I don't know where you have the time to do that. But a Cornell study says that you and I, we make more than 200 daily decisions just about food alone. 200, 200 choices that we make, so, of course, went way up went way up during the stay-at-home orders that we were under because there was nothing else to decide except what to eat, except maybe what to binge-watch next on Netflix. Um, not me. I mean, not me, but I've heard other people uh, struggled with that. Like, what? <clears throat> I saw your posts on Facebook. Most of our daily decisions really, though, are made on autopilot, right? We just react. We react to life, and uh, sometimes it's good, and Sometimes it's not so, so good. But the big ones, those really big decisions that we sometimes have to make every day, they need to be made intentionally because the really big ones have really big consequences. Like, it's important stuff. And today, you and I will decide thousands of times. We'll decide what to do with our time. We'll decide what to eat. We'll decide what to read, what to buy. We'll decide what to wear, what to talk about, what to think about, and then what to give a second thought to after we thought about it. Today, you and I will decide how we will speak the words we will use to those and use against those we love, um, how we will communicate to those people we really care about. And then there will be many, many choices that each of us will make even today that are going to have eternal consequences. Today, also, Jude, the letter we're finishing off, that brief note to the church that he wrote 2,000 years ago, today Jude is presenting you and I with a profound life choice, a decision. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, captures the same idea of where Jude is going. Uh, as God speaks with his children so long ago, and here's what God said, Today I invoke heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Therefore, choose life. Did you hear what God's saying to you and I today? Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. That, that's like a no-brainer, isn't it? To live, to live well, that, that's the choice we, we get to make. Then why is it not the common choice? Why is it not the intentional decision for many of us today? Why is that? What is wrong with us? <laughs> well, let's jump back into Jude and take a look at what's wrong with us and find out where we should be at and what we can do uh, and do even better. In the last verses of this note to the church, Jude shifts his focus. Uh, he shifts it away from the false teachers and from all the judgments that are going to fall on people who reject God in his way and walk down another path, which is the majority of our world, and it has been since Adam and Eve. 
And it's away from that, and he, he shifts the focus back onto you and me. It's not where we often want the light to shine, but that's where it's going to shine today on you and me, the readers of this letter in the 21st century. And Jude deals with our responsibility. We have a responsibility. And the choices that you and I can make or the choices that you and I can choose to ignore. And we can choose to ignore these things, but then we will bear the consequences. Verse 17, that's where we ended off last week, so that's where we're going to be today, starting. Jude 17, but you, unlike everybody else, but you, dear friends... Recall the predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we're asked to do is remember, to recall, to, uh, to reflect on the fact that the wrong behavior of the people in our world all around us that we see on the news, that we see personally face-to-face -face every day, is not unforeseen, it's not unexpected but it was in fact anticipated. It was even foretold. Not only, as we saw last week in Jude verse 14, did Enoch prophesy this uh, 6,000 years ago. And in Jude chapter, and verse four, other Old Testament authors prophesied about this evil influence that is in our world that you and I live with. But Jesus Christ's own disciples, that's Peter, James, John, Matthew, who, who wrote it down for us in the New Testament, who Jesus called his sent ones. They recorded all this for us and warned us also this was coming. So, so note to self, wrongdoers in our world today do not threaten God's purposes. Don't worry. It's been going on for a long time. This is nothing new. Evil in our culture is not a surprise, is it? But what we learn is through the wisdom of scriptures that we spend our time in on Sundays is that wrongdoers, they, they actually are, are living evidence that God's plans are being fulfilled. Just look at the way the wicked deeds of those who crucified Jesus Christ were foretold in places like Isaiah chapter 53. 700 years before Jesus sacrificed his life for your sins and for mine. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, uh, Luke puts it this way in Acts 2. This man, speaking about Jesus, who was handed over by the predetermined, planned, and foreknowledge of God. This is a sermon Peter preached. By the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of the Gentiles and far from derailing God's plan of redemption for all of humanity, those self-centered hypocrites unwittingly advance God's plans by crucifying Jesus Christ. It's a whole new perspective. It's a whole different way to look at your world. And then Jude goes on in verse 18, he says, for they, and he's speaking about Jesus Christ's apostles, for they said to you, in the end time, there will come scoffers propelled by their own ungodly desires. So, in the end time, is that now? Is that the tribulation period that's going to be like seven years long, if you take that, that view in, in Revelation? Uh, is this about that period, the end of all things, when it all 
collapses and is judged? No, the end time that he's talking about here is the time between the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his future return, which could be today. Could be another year from now. Could be another decade from now. It's described as the last days in Acts chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 1, James chapter 5. It's described as the last times in 1 Peter 1.20. It's described as the last hour in 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. In other words, what Jude is talking about right there is we are in it. You and I are in the last times. This is happening right now, and actually it started with Jesus Christ. And the divisiveness that we humans experience, not only in our world and in our country, even in the church, over political extremes, over pandemic responses, even over what is the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that divisiveness only highlights where you and I find ourselves in God's history. We're in the last times. This is nothing new. And the timeline is getting shorter. So come now, Jesus, come back. Are you, do you hope for that? Or do you want him to come back after your next vacation? You know, are, are, are you, have, we, have we got this together? Come back now. Uh, put an end to it all. In verse 18, he describes, Jude describes them as scoffers. People who scoff at what you believe, at what you think, and how you live. He says they're, they're scoffers and they're propelled. You know, you got that idea of being pushed along by their own ungodly desires that they might not even know about, really. They haven't been exposed yet. And this characterization of them highlights a very key point that, that our enemies, which are all around us, they don't practice their un, ungodly lifestyles with some kind of tolerant, respectful, live-and-let-live kind of attitude. Have you noticed? Rather, they will mock and they will ridicule anyone who takes seriously the Word of God, that takes it literally. They will, they will ridicule anyone who seeks to follow Jesus Christ's actual teachings, not the ones that people like to talk about, but what he actually says. And when he told a lot of his disciples, they walked away. They will slander you and I as foolish. They will slander us as ignorant. They will even call us hypocritical, which we can be from time to time. Let's, let's be honest. Look at the way in which Christians are portrayed in our media today. We're goofballs. Look at the way we're treated in higher academia. Because if you can delegitimize a biblical view of morality, how you should then live, or what is the right behavior, what does God require of us, if you can delegitimize that, what the Bible says about our sinful behavior and who we are, then you can obscure the fact that the choices that you have taken and the path that you have decided to follow places you under the wrath of God, and you can obscure that. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, 3. He says, and although you were dead, so this is where those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is where we were. 
And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, that's where we used to be. Then God turned on the light, and he showed us that we were actually living according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? Yeah, do you, th- do you, mean, do you ever stop to think about that before you came to know Jesus as your Savior, your leader, whether you've acknowledged it with your mouth or not or believed it in your heart, your leader was? Yeah, the evil one. That's cra- is that crazy? <coughs> According to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience among whom all of us, oh, Pete, I was never that bad. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. Because the Bible says so. All of us formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, looking out for number one. It's all about me. Indulging the desires of our flesh and of our mind. And we're by nature the children even as the rest. Before Jesus saved us was the wrath of God. That's where we were all headed. And that's where our world is heading. And that's why Jude's whole theme as we've been going through it of being rescuers. Aren't you just overjoyed that God rescued you and the people he used to rescue you from that path? Jude 19. These people are divisive. They're worldly. They're devoid of the spirit. And and in these words here, uh, the, the, the false and the immoral lifestyles that these people engage in had, as Jude has pointed out, had divided the church that Jude was writing to. And it doesn't mean the church had actually split and it had gone off and started something down the street. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying that there's kind of a separation that's taking place even in the church. This, this separation into two factions. Uh, in one corner, you have the people that Jude's been describing, these, these uh, free-from-the-law kind of people, these cheap grace uh, extremists who say, well, let's sin because we're not under the law anymore, so let's just go ahead and do whatever we want. Let's indulge so that grace can abound. <laughs> and in the other corner, you've got people who are trying to uphold what the Bible actually says. And often you'll find these free, well, these false freedom individuals. Um, they consider themselves to be enlightened. They're a little bit above those who are trying to live moral lives. Uh, And and these poor brothers and sisters, uh, they regard us with pity as being, you know, narrow-minded traditionalists. Maybe they'll throw that label at you. Who likes that one? So Jude goes on to tell us two things that we need to choose, uh, choices we need to make today to, to, to build into our daily life in light of all the confusion, in light of all the divisiveness. And it's in verse 20, and he says, but you, dear friends, here are, here are the two choices, here are the two decisions for us to make every day. By building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And two, by praying in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, what is all this in the Spirit stuff that you read in Scripture over by the Spirit, in the Spirit, about what's that all about? Well, Paul kind of helps us see this in Galatians 5:25, where he says, "If we live what by the Spirit, in the Spirit, under the Spirit's control and influence, if we live in the Spirit, let's also behave 
in accordance with the Spirit. So you can't do one without the other. If you really are living in the Spirit, your behavior, your lifestyle will show it. See, there's a connection. There's a connection between living, which includes our praying in the Spirit and, and our behavior. And Paul says, this is what it's going to look like. Here's some of the things. Let's not become conceited. Thinking we got all the answers and we got it all together. Let's not provoke one another. There's a lot of provoking going on in our world today. My goodness. Let's not be jealous of one another. How come God gave them that and I didn't? It's like how some people like to talk on Facebook. Like they really know what they're saying. Have you come across those? I've read all the information. You know, I always laugh when I hear somebody say, well, I've, I've read all the books. I'm just like, <laughs> all the information and all the facts from thousands of sources. And so now I have the answers to the global issues that confront us. I know better than those people who are in charge, who, who have information that we probably won't get until it's made public, you know, in 20 years. You know what? All you and I really know as followers of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is the answer to our problem. All we really That our world's biggest problem. And, and, and Jude says, choose. Choose to consistently just do these two things, he says. And you'll discover, verse 21, Jude 21, and you'll discover that you will maintain yourself in the love of God. What better place to be? Jesus talked about this uh, in a lot of his teaching, um, in, in keeping and maintaining yourself in the love of God. In John 15, verses 9 and 10, he said, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Be kept there. And then he tells you how. If you obey my commandments, if you do what I say, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and I remain in his love, Jesus did it. And in the, and in the power of the Spirit that indwells us, you and I can do it. So, it's two of those commandments that Jesus was speaking about that Jude details for us. And they are, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever found that you have doubts? You push to the limit? Have you found that you have doubts in this journey in the faith, as Jude calls it? Well, maybe this could be two of the reasons why. So while you are kept in the love of God, you'll also be, according to Jude 21, anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. Anticipate. It reminds me of a song. Everybody now. Anticipation. I'm sorry, I had a flashback. All right. Some of you who are younger are going, what? 
anticipating, this, this being kept by Jesus is also connected to his mercy. Not just connected to our behavior, but it's connected directly to his mercy. And his mercy extends to those that he loves. Are you loved? Are you loved by Jesus? Look how Jesus describes it himself in John chapter 6, 39 to 40. Now, this is the will of the one who sent me. Oh, I want to know the will of God. Well, here it is. That I should not lose one person. Is, are you one of those? That I should not lose one person of everyone that God the Father has given me, but raise them all up on the last day into these new bodies and this new eternal life. For this is the will of my Father. For everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him to have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jude stated in the opening verse, verse 1 of his little letter, that we are kept for Christ. That's why God's keeping us. Because we're Jesus Christ's bride for that marriage feast. We're being kept to be presented to Him. We're His reward. And in the ending verses, verses 24 and 25, we read that it is Christ who keeps you and I from falling. So who we are, it begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. He is everything. Look at the well-known and often quoted verse uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says the same thing. Look at it in this light. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, Paul says, what? By the mercies of God. How do you do this life? How do you make these choices? By the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a sacrifice. Alive. Choose life. Deuteronomy. Holy. Pure. And pleasing to God. Which is your reasonable service. It's like... In the church today, what I just read there seems to be, that would be if you were radical. Let's be radical Christians. No, Paul says, let's be normal. <laughs> this is just reasonable. This is, like, this is like the way it is. This isn't like special. This is who we are. And how do we sacrifice ourselves and live holy lives? By the mercy of God. And since we look forward with that kind of expectation for our Lord's mercy, every day is full of new mercies. I believe the psalmist says that. Every day. And we know that God's grace is enough. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That God's grace is enough to sustain your salvation through all of your sins, through all of your doubts, and through all of your fears. So, so what kind of choices should we make concerning the rest of humanity, since that's why we're left here, obviously. We're here to serve. Well, Jude says in verse 22, here's what you do. Have mercy on those who waver. There's not a lot of mercy going around right now. Why? Why would I have mercy on someone who's kind of wishy-washy out there, who's not, not living it? Why, why, why would I care? Because you and I were no different. That's why. You and I were no different, as we've just read today, from the most wicked person in our world. We stumble and we fumble all the time, too. Plus, you've got this little 
saying, do unto others yeah, as you'd have them do unto you. Do you desire in your life for other people to cut you some slack? Put your, put your hand up. Do you, do you desire for other people to cut you some slack? Yeah, let everybody know. <laughs> cut me some slack. Yes, I'm there. Uh, do you desire other people to be merciful for you or to just come down with judgment? I'm, I like mercy. I want that judge. Do you like people to be about restoring and refreshing your soul? Would you say that you are known as a merciful Christian? How should we respond to those who are wavering between truth and error? Or even those who have been led astray into false beliefs, false practices? Jude says, verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I mean, what a picture. Have you ever been around a fire pit, and hopefully outdoors, and you've been around, around a fire pit, and, and you've reached and you've grabbed a burning piece of wood to move it, to realign it? So, you know, have you ever done that? Snatched up? There's some risk involved. <laughs> yeah, I have... I have lost the hair, you know, on my arm. Those of you who have hair on your arm, yeah, you, it, 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 it's gone. You know, it just goes zoom, and it's that smell. Just for a stupid piece of wood. And Jude says, snatch them out of the fire. It means you've got to put your hand in there. What a picture. He says, have mercy on others. Coupled with the fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Paul says this, this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He tells Christians, brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spirit, of course, this is big if, right? You who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says this, pay close attention to yourself so that you are not tempted to. See, this is where a real discerning and healthy fear of God comes into play. You hate the sin, you hate the sin but you love the sinner enough to take the risk to rescue them, to dive in there and to get them because you love them that much. But while you're doing that, you need to be on your game, God's game. You need to be alert. <laughs> In our day and age, you need to practice um, biblical safety protocols. You need to wear your mask. You need to wash your hands. You don't touch your face. All the biblical stuff. Because you and I are so easily infected. Uh, the sin's floating all around us. I hear it's even going to be in, a, in an aeros aerosol uh, particles. And we are so easily led astray. We are. James, uh, the, half, uh, the brother of Jude, half-brother of Jesus, said it this way. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and that's going to happen. I mean, don't be surprised by this. It's been prophesied. Expect it. If anyone among you wanders from the truth 
and someone turns him back and they rescue them. They're used by God to rescue them. He should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's what God does. And he uses us to do it. It's unbelievable. So you might say, well, Pete, is there there never then a time or a place to separate yourself from somebody who's become so wayward and so down a wrong path? Well, yeah, yeah, there is. And it's a time when we, we should cry. The Bible calls it mourning. We should weep and we should wail when that happens. And although Jude doesn't address it here in his short letter, there eventually comes a time in the life of a typical church community when all attempts to bring about repentance um, have to be considered to have failed, at least for the present time time being, and that, that stubborn, unrepentant sinner is removed from a church community. It's a, it's a gut-wrenching time. But prayerful, humble discernment is so needed in determining when that time has come. It should never be a knee-jerk reaction. And what a privilege, what an honor rescuing is. That's what we do. And what discretion rescuing demands. Now, some are saying that you and I, in this generation, we're living in a time, we're living in this country where the dividing lines between people have never been greater. Even in the church, the existence of an us versus them factionalism is common. Well, 2,000 years ago, it's also well noted in the New Testament. I'll just give you a couple verses. Romans 16, 17. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 12. 1 Corinthians 11, 18. James chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Is that enough? Because we can go on. See, there's nothing new under the sun. This is the way it happens. This is what life is like until Jesus comes back. Divisions amongst Christians typically are the result of a, of, of a prideful desire to exalt yourself above someone else. That's how it happens. James talks about it in James 3, 14, and 16. If you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but it's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. You want to go there? But where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder and every evil practice. Division amongst Christians typically is the result of misguided zeal. Um, It could be a a zeal for the absolute purity of Scripture, which which is a great thing. But it's done at the expense of fellowship. Um, it's, it's presented with an intolerant spirit, um, and there's no room for any disagreements about uh, opinions, differing opinions on, on matters that are disputed in the church. Paul, Paul took a whole chapter in Romans chapter 14 to talk about what some of the disputed matters are and don't get hung up on them. Can divisions then always be avoided? 
in our, in our society and in the church? No. No, they can't, especially when the issue goes to the heart of the gospel. A distinction, a division between believers and unbelievers is inevitable. It just is. John talked about it in 1 John 2, 18 to 22. He said, children, it is the last hour. And he was talking 2,000 years ago. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, there is an Antichrist coming one day. But even now, he says, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that it is the last hour. We're in it. They went out from us, but they really did not belong to us. There's a sharp division between truth and error. And so you and I are... are Asked by James to contend for the faith. Uh, asked by Jude, sorry. Jude to contend for the faith. So, so we have to strive to obey Jesus Christ. We have to strive to love each other. More than ever now in the place we find ourselves. And we, are, we strive to serve God. We also need to recognize that that ability to do those things Jude's talking about that I've just described here. Even the will to do things comes from God. It comes from Him. It doesn't come from inside. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Colossians 2, 6 and 10. Therefore, Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives, guess what he said? In Him. Rooted and oh, there's the same word that... Uh, Jude used, and build up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught, and overflow thankfulness. Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of our world, not according to Jesus Christ. You know, our, our Christian life that we're living is effort between God and his children. But never forget that that effort that we are asked, especially by Jude here today, to perform is made possible by the transformed power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus that resides within us. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God. That's why I can do the things I do, because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, not my faithfulness. And he loves himself for me. It's a decision to make. And it's a decision you and I have to make every day. We have a responsibility to continue following Jesus Christ, but this is coupled with this understanding um, that, that the sovereign power of God ensures that none of us who know him will fall away while we do this following. And that power comes from where? The indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity is alive and well. I want you to stand with me. Would you stand with me?
we're going to uh, we're going to praise our awesome God, our voices right now. But we're going to do it with our life choices when we walk out that door. To be yours on behalf of our Father in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, as a church community, we bow before you. Again, you alone are worthy, and the salvation you provided for us through Jesus Christ draws us together. It unites us. It empowers us. It gives us a new resolve. It, it gives us a vision for a world that is unlike what we hear on the news. Dear God, we think of our church community. We think of the new life you are providing for them, maybe even right now. We think of Larry and Greta as they end of their lives lives of faithfulness to you. And pray, God, that you'd surround them with your peace and your comfort. Thank you that you've brought family to minister to them at this time. And Lord, teach us how to be better rescuers. We praise you now in the name of Jesus. Amen.